Hi, I'm Sissy Graham Lynch. Welcome to Fearless, helping you have a fearless faith in a compromising culture. It was about two to three years ago when the Lord really started stirring in my heart this burden for the church and especially this younger generation. As I saw the church was starting to compromise with the world and the world that is forever changing to kind of match their faith to the world. And I realized it's because so many younger Christians don't know what they believe and why they believe it because they don't know scripture. And I remember God just started stirring these thoughts in my in my heart and really convicting me to know His Word better. And I was back at home driving a couple years ago in North Carolina, and I was listening to Greg Laurie on the radio, and he was interviewing a man that had such an intriguing story to me. He didn't come to know Jesus until his 30s, and up to that point, he had been an atheist. And when he came to know Jesus, you know, he started studying God's Word, and now he's an apologist that goes all around the world to teach why is God's word truth. And it was so challenging to me to listen to him saying, you as a Christian, are you able to answer some of these basic questions about God's word? And I realized that I couldn't. And I look back now that that was probably the beginning of fearless to help people to know what they believe and why they didn't, because I was one of them that didn't know. And I still don't know all the answers and That's why this is a learning process for me and encouraging people to study God's word as I am. But fast forward a couple years later, I didn't know our paths would cross with this man, Jay Warner Wallace, who I'll refer to as Jim in the interview. But I've gotten to know him a couple times this year, and especially in the last couple weeks, he and his wife were volunteering in Alaska with Samaritan's Purse. And I got to sit down with Jim and ask him questions, especially regarding the next generation that has a lot of noise, a lot of distractions in the world telling them what truth is. But how do we as Christians effectively communicate God's love and God's grace to this next generation? I'm excited today. I have a special guest with me, Jay Warner Wallace, uh, also known as Jim. Um, He does all his social media and professional stuff as Jay Warner Wallace because there's a couple Jim Wallaces out there. But welcome to the podcast and thanks for being here. He and his wife, Susie, are up here in Alaska serving with Samaritan's Purse and Operation Heal Our Patriots, which has been the biggest blessing. They've come up here just to serve these military couples who've come up to Alaska. as a week to be renewed and refreshed, um, to get spiritual counseling, marriage counseling, and you and your wife have just been the biggest blessing up here. Well, we got out blessed by you. And it's funny because when you do these kinds of recordings and we're actually talking in the background, we have all the, it's an active runway, what, about 50 yeah, yards Yeah, there's from airplanes us. flying by, yeah. so you might yeah, hear that. Awesome. But for those who don't know who Jim is, he's a homicide detective from California. That's That was your yep. career. You've yep. been retired now. Yeah, I've a got a couple years. of active cases that I probably will never get back to, but yeah, it's been a few years. And you've been on a Dateline Detective. Yes. You're part of uh, God's Not Dead number, or number two, two. Number two. But you've written many books. Um, and that's how I got to know you or hear about you the first time. A few of your books are Cold Case Christianity, God's Crime Scene, and Forensic Faith. Right. In a world that's forever compromising, 
in a world that is uh, coming against Christians. Christians mm-hmm. have to be prepared to give an answer. Right. And I remember hearing you for the first time on Greg Laurie's show talking about, I believe it was forensic faith. Yeah, what a great guy Greg is, yeah. And it was so timely in my life because I was 32 years old and starting to wasn't questioning my faith and like the sovereignty of God, but I really wanted to know what do we believe and why? Because we live in this compromising culture. And I realized that many people around me, including myself, couldn't give an answer that the world was looking for of why I believed in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I live, I'm a millennial. I live in a generation that wants to know answers and um, they want to know scientific answers and they want the why, not just because I know, I believe. Yes. And I love that about my generation, that they're willing to ask those questions. Um, But it was in your book that you've really challenged that. You um, were an atheist till 35. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're a detective in LA. And when you started questioning the gospels and looking at them, you took the principles that you used at work to for a case, and you applied them to the Gospels. Yeah, and a lot of this is, you know, we were talking earlier about how important the story of Nicodemus is, right, in the Gospel of John. And I felt like, I love the fact that here's a guy who's questioning, and he's got a sense that Jesus has got some truth to share, yet he won't come to Jesus during the daytime when people can be seen. His culture is still weighing on him, and he's got the condemnation of his peers to think about. So he comes, and Jesus kind of starts to work through this process. To me, that's a very uh, encouraging story because it helps me to think about how people come to me and ask questions. And how I also started to ask those questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we were not, I was not interested in Christianity, but uh, Susie wanted to go to church. And so I was willing to go as her unbelieving husband. There's probably a lot of unbelieving <laughs> husbands going to church with their wives. And that was really who I was. But the pastor did the same thing to me and provoked me. He said that Jesus was the smartest man who ever lived. And uh, that provoked me to think, well, really? And, you know, I, I, I'm willing to steal wisdom from anybody. So I bought a Bible just to see what Jesus had to say, the red, red letters. And so that for me, it was that process of examining Scripture that eventually, using the same system we apply to eyewitnesses in criminal trials, that helped me to open up the gospel, to hear the gospel for the first time. Yeah. And that, as you were teaching um, at church this Sunday, and you're teaching on John 3, mm-hmm. um, and the story of Nicodemus, and Jesus said, you are Israel's teacher, as he's speaking to Nicodemus, and you do not understand these things. And it's really true in today's time. You know, God's right. scripture is, right. is timeless, and we can apply that today, is how many, right. how little people that would call themselves Christ followers and go to church every Sunday, how little they know God's word, especially when we're talking about social issues yes. uh, today that our society is facing. Yeah. Um, and often— and you've talked about this before, is that so many times their answer is, well, Jesus didn't say that, speak on those things. Sometimes that's, or you don't want to offend people. We live in a a society, I think, that can be fearful at times. They don't want persecution. Mm -hmm. They don't want to lose maybe social media followers. They don't want to offend from the pulpit or something. Um, And maybe just speak more on a platform of love. But right. without presenting the truth of Scripture. Yeah, well, okay, look, so we could teach, we could start, I could start an organization that teaches leadership principles that doesn't have to do anything with Scripture. But if I'm going to lead a church, I'm going to have to lead it from a text 
which is pretty clear. So I cannot use as my text something other than scripture, right, to do this. Now, we can disagree about non-essentials, but I think that's a very different issue. These are all essentials that we're starting to compromise on, uh, essentials that involve who we are as humans. You know, it, it, there's consequences for ideas. A friend of mine, John Stone Street, we work at Colston Center. He's he, he's the president of Colston Center. I'm just a fellow there. But he would always say that, that ideas have consequences and bad ideas have victims. And that is exactly true. You want to say that again? I, ideas have consequences and bad ideas have victims. Mm. And that is true for our young people. That we can, if they embrace bad ideas, trust me, there's a consequence for that. And it's not good, right? That's why we call it a bad idea to begin with. So I think a lot of what we're trying to do is help young people to see that whatever they're going to ground themselves. Look, if you call yourself a Christian, Christian, little Christ, little Christ, a follower of Christ, if you're going to use that label, you have to follow this guy named Christ. Okay. And whatever he teaches in that category, you mm. cannot say, I'm not step off the trail. You're going to have to say, no, I'm, I'm in. And, and it's going to be tough because um, a lot of times it's not going to be the, po- it's not even popular to us. We know how hard it is to teach truth in these very difficult areas right now that the culture is questioning. And so I, I wish it was different. I wish I could say, Hey, that's no big deal. But the reality of it is I'm not a gym follower anymore. I'm a Christ follower. So I'm stuck having to embrace that view, which I think is actually good for us. It's, it's, it, it actually protects us. But what I'm saying is I get it if sometimes young people are uncomfortable. Yeah. I get that. We have to help them not get comfortable, but to work through their discomfort because they're going to stay uncomfortable. And I've been convicted of that myself, of not knowing fully what Scripture says. So after I heard your... You know, your interview with Greg Laurie, I went home, got on Amazon, ordered the book right away. And that's why I've been so excited to get to know you over the last year and have you here today to really explain how God used your life in the field that um, as a detective in L.A. And to use the things that even before you're a Christian, uh, as your wife um, told me earlier, is that these things that you are good at and that you used even before you're a Christian, now that you know Christ, God's allowing you to use those tools here and to teach a new generation of what they believe and why they believe it. Yeah. You know, I talk about this a lot with young people because we deal with a lot with with high schoolers and and junior high schoolers, this Gen Z, right? The next generation coming up, three to 20-ish. And we've been talking about how, and I was this guy as an adult, I needed not just the what, I needed two whys for every what. And that's what we say, if you'll just take this approach with young people, you'll change your, as a Christian now, as a parent, as a pastor, as a youth pastor, as a Christian educator, this is a generation probably where you were at that point in your life, where you always knew what the what was. You've been told what the Bible teaches about Jesus, what the Bible teaches about God, but you had to give the two whys for every what for this next generation. And that is one, well, why is that true? I mean, on the basis of what do you believe that Jesus is God? He might be a, a, a man sent by God, maybe even the firstborn of God, but you think Jesus is God on the basis of what information would you think that? You have to make a case for why you think this is true from scripture. Or from outside of scripture. The second why, though, is even more important, I think. And okay, fine. So you believe Jesus is God and you've got some reasons why you believe that. So what? Why does that matter to me? Why does that matter to me is the second why. And so that's what I had to do. I had to get through, okay, here's the what. Here's the claim. Here's why it's true. And then finally, how does that apply to me? And then I was able to kind of turn that corner and hear the gospel. Look, in the end, I agree with everybody else. It's what the Holy Spirit does through the plain proclamation of scripture. Mm -hmm. The problem is if you had scripture and it was in Swahili and you only speak English, 
You would say, I've got a barrier to hearing the gospel. I don't speak that language. I don't understand what the heck you're saying. Same thing happens for those of us who have built this wall that says, I don't understand your Christian language, what your need of sin, sin, what is sin? I don't have sin. You might be, a, I don't think I'm a sinner. In other words, there's a language barrier. And what we're trying to do is teach the biblical language to people. But first, we have to teach them this language before we can preach the gospel. That's kind of what we're doing with this, is we're helping people who have constructed barriers. So it sounds like you're speaking a different language. Mm-hmm. We're helping them to hear your English. So what I'm saying, though, is I think that what we do is we, we have cluttered ourselves with other stuff. And so I, that's, that's the challenge, I think, for this generation. It's a very noisy world. This is a world in which you've got every opportunity. You know, when I was a kid, if you wanted a TV show, you had to get it on ABC, NBC, or CBS. That meant you had a th- one in three chance of the world seeing a show because there's only three networks. Well, that's over, right? Not only that, we have all the extra networks like Netflix and Hulu and, and Amazon Prime with hundreds and hundreds of show opportunities. So young people can select out a media palette of their own ch- choice mm-hmm. and watch it when they want to watch it. So this is a world where young people are completely autonomous and have power. Now we're offering, and by the way, they can create these little micro narratives. And I'm so guilty of that myself that I've been convicted of, okay, I'm going to stay up and watch my Netflix show. And you binge till about 1230 at night. Oh, well now I'm so tired. I can't get up in the morning (laughs) to re-spend time with Lord and Jesus. And I realized I was laughing about that. I said, no, I've watched in the last six months behavior change mm. um, because the noise or the noises of the world, whether that's through Netflix, through podcasts in the car, whatever it is, that noise has taken over. And I'm guilty of that, that I've had to yeah. check myself and saying, am I spending time uh, with the Lord like I should, or is it the noise of the world pulling me? Well, I was with your dad yesterday. We were on a short flight and he was talking about you know, he's somebody who, for the most part, if he's going to read anything, what's he going to read? He's going to read the news, but if he's not going to read a book, if he's going to open a book, it's going to be scripture. And that's what he kind of says, you know, so I like, I thought it's a bummer because I was going to give him one of my books, but I'm not going to do that now. <laughs> but the point I'm trying to make is he's been very, very focused on that's what his, that's the noise he's going to allow in. Well, and you, we keep talking about young people and I want to mm-hmm. talk about um, your latest book. So the next generation will know, and it's a how-to book written to help parents and pastors and others, how to understand Generation Z, which tell the listeners what Generation Z is. Sometimes I'll call this iGen. I've heard it called iGen, Gen Z. I've heard it called the selfie generation, screen gen. I've heard it called, you know, all these different ways that we describe this generation. But if you've got a teenager or a junior higher, you've got somebody in this generation. They're the ones that follow millennials. Um, and the next generation up there, they were starting to call them the alpha generation, back to A again. But they were in Gen Z, uh, these teenagers, 3 to 20-ish, right in that range. It's hard to be. And this is a generation that has had technology since they were young. Yes, that we is, don't know a life is, without technology. Yes, that is by far the most common descriptor. So if you look at all the studies done on Gen Z, the, the most number one is always digital native. Because that is the tail that wags every other dog in their descriptor. So this is also a very lonely generation. They'll describe self-report themselves as as more lonely than other generations. They'll self-report themselves as struggling more with mental um, illness or depression. And you think, well, it's, it's tied to the digital native issue, right? That they, they, you've ever been to an airport? Airports are incredibly crowded. But if I'm not with Susie, I'm very lonely in a crowded airport. And we are kind of in a crowded digital world where young people are feeling like they have no real personal connections. They've got lots of connections. 
but fewer deep personal connections. And you may be growing up, the word atheist mm-hmm. was probably a, more of a bad and dirty term. Like for me growing up in the South, like what? An atheist? Like right, yeah. <laughs> that was um, just a word you didn't hear very often. Right. But now for, um, I was just reading from Barna Research, for mm-hmm. Generation Z, atheist is no longer a dirty word. The percentage of teens who identify as such is double that of the general population, which is 13% versus 6% of adults. Mm -hmm. And um, this is a generation that it's normal not to believe in a God. That's more acceptable Mm -hmm. to not believe in God. And there's the reasons we all know, whether it's Christians or hypocrites, how could a good God Mm -hmm. allow bad things? And that is a question I see all the time. I get asked a lot. I was just speaking on a college campus last year, and that was, that's always their number one question. Well, if God is good, how can he allow bad things? And I think that's one of the number one reasons for this generation and for millennials. And it has been, I mean, that's probably the top 60 or 70% of all objections to God fall into some category of the problem of evil. Either how is it that God could allow this? How is it that Christians could act this way? In other words, some problem with that they perceive as evil. And so one of the good ways to start that conversation, I think with young people is to ask, well, tell me what you're talking about specifically. Tell me what it is you've seen or endured that is troubling you. Because a lot of this is not generalized. It's that this person has had a life, an experience that has shaken them in some way. And I'm not even sure, we've been talking about this recently with couples, and and I'm not even sure that I can do much. Sometimes what you need when you've suffered evil is just to be walked through it and held and, and, and have somebody that has empathy. And not this logical, five logical reasons why God would allow this to happen. Now I can give you the five logical reasons, but they may not be persuasive or helpful if you're still hurting. So we have to kind of, first of all, see, well, what is it that's, where's the real pain coming from? What, what evil have you suffered that this has caused mm-hmm. you serious doubt? Now, that also will help you to see what road in you should take when talking about evil. Mm-hmm. If it's an evil act on the part of someone who's perpetrated against them, well, I can talk about why God would allow that kind of free agency. I can talk about how God might use that event to shape them for the future. I, could, I, I don't know how to start, though, until I know what it is that happened to you that has caused you to have this question. Unless, you know, I'm on a lot of college campuses, and sometimes people will just throw that zinger out there sure. just to kind of stop you in your tracks. And if that's the case, well, I can, I can, I can volley. You know, we, we, can, we can do that. But I'm more concerned, is that person, you know, we're not to answer the question. We're to answer the person with the question. Mm. And that means we have to know what the person is, come, where they're coming from. And I, that, it took me a while to learn that. And I used to always just have the answer ready. But I, now I realize I have to know the person. And that's one of the things we talk about in this book is that young people are so relational that it's really about if you develop the relational equity to answer this question. So it's about personal relationships married to truth claims. So if you said, oh, you want the answer to that? I'll give you Jim Wallace's book. Okay, well, I don't have a relationship with that person. So you can give them my truth claims, but I don't have that relationship. You have the relationship with them, but you don't know how to answer that question. So what I would say is you just develop that skill set to answer the question. Don't use me. You can read my stuff, but you have to be the answerer because you have the relationship. And that's what we're trying to do with this book with, for parents is to help them see that, you know, this is not a matter of, hey, wait until your kid's got a question, then you give them a book. Yeah. Well, they're not going to read that book. They want, they're asking you to answer that. So you have to read the book. Yeah. And that's what I love because here at Fearless, I want to help whether it's parents or friends, to navigate through a compromising culture. Mm -hmm. How do you stand up for truth? 
you do it in grace. I'm always right. saying Jesus was 100% truth. He was 100% grace. But how can you give them practical tools and yeah. how to teach this next generation um, truth and how to stand for truth? Because I've realized I... I was very fortunate. I grew up with a mom who was like very practical, was mm-hmm. always talking about scripture, but also talking about the things we face in this world. And she's kind of everybody's like go-to for advice. She's always giving yes. other moms advice when they're raising their children. And my grandmother was the same way. Mm-hmm. But I've realized so many of my friends don't have those practical tools or somebody telling them how to raise this generation. I know. And it is so, I mean, it's even different for my mom now because this generation's facing things that no generation's faced before. So I love that this is a book and I love that that's your heart is to help teach youth pastors and pastors Mm -hmm. and parents and grandparents how to talk to this generation about God's word. Because I think this generation, it's very scary to me. I read a statistic um, and I had it, uh, I think in a few episodes ago, where let's just take the subject of homosexuality mm-hmm. for churchgoers of Generation Z. These are children yep. that are going to church. Only 24% of them yes. believe that homosexuality is wrong. That's right. And right then I realized our church is failing this generation mm-hmm. because we're not addressing the things that they're facing and we're not teaching them what God's truth has to say with God's love, truth, and grace. That's right. About it. We have a group that we, so I work with Summit Worldview Conference, which is a uh, immersive program, two weeks, 180 high schoolers who get to come and, and study Christian worldview in every category from sexuality to economics. We go the entire range. Now, these are kids who are, are sent by their parents for a two-week immersive program teaching Christian worldview. So sometimes we get some of the best, you know, uh, most most devoted Christian families who, who these kids have attended church. And they come to us 180 at a time. And I teach every session. And so I'm there and I realize as I'm teaching this generation of probably some of the more committed Christians in the country who send their kids to this, that at least half do not hold a biblical worldview on sexuality, gender identity, all the things that the culture is shifted on. They have shifted with them. So I don't start off as though, okay, well, you guys already accept this and you know this, so I can just run over it. No, they have to be you have to be edu- they have to actually they don't even know what scripture teaches on this or they don't know why they shouldn't co-opt or change what scripture has teach uh, teaches on this and I'll typically say one of two things either number one well Jesus never talked about that stuff yep so I have a list of all the things that Jesus didn't mm-hmm. talk about, including rape and and uh, elder abuse and animal abuse. There's all kinds of stuff that they would not say they would want to be, to participate in that Jesus never talked about and then I also showed them that yeah actually Jesus said everything that was to say about these issues, because he said, I didn't come to replace the law. So if you want to know what Jesus believes on these Mm -hmm. issues, just ask Moses. He'll tell you what Jesus believed on these issues. And you're gonna have a harder time, I think, telling us that Moses didn't have a position on those issues. So I think a lot of it is to help kids see, but I assume up front with this age group that they do not hold a biblical view on those issues. Those are the, are the hardcore wedge issues. And as a matter of fact, when we get to the porch chat and we're just asking questions, Q&A time at the end of the day, that is the lion's share. And I'm hearing young people try to figure out how can I hold to the culture's view on this issue and stay a Christian? And we find ourselves having to show them you can't. You can't. There's no, there's no easy way to say it. You just have to know you have to abandon the culture's view on this and return to the teaching of Jesus or it's okay if you don't, but you can't call yourself a Christ follower. Mm-hmm. You have to kind of be in a different category now. 
and so it's just hard, you know, it's, but that is probably where most of our conversations go. And I think we, even with millennials, I'm a millennial and generation Z is, although this would be a generation that would tend to be more atheist or maybe call themselves a Christ, mm-hmm. uh, a Christian, but, um, he's probably not Lord of their life. They're asked questions yep. and they're seeking truth. Yes, they they're are. seeking it, trying to find truth in any manner that they can, whether that's through Hollywood, they're seeking right. it right, right. through Twitter, through Instagram, Snapchat, um, whatever source it is, they're asking questions. No, this is information. And we're not prepared, I believe, to always give the answer. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm sad to say, I don't see many churches addressing those questions. Yeah, it's going to be so that this is why the work that we do coming alongside the church and what we call these parachurch ministries, that's why this work is so important. Because, yeah, I get it. I mean, it, it, look, I think pastors are tapped out, I'll be honest with you. They have so much to do, and they have so much to be concerned about. And everyone's going to come to them and say, hey, this is the priority you should have. And everyone's got a different priority sure. they're coming to their pastor with. Now, I would, I would argue, yeah, that's essential. I don't know why we'd ever move away from truth. But at the same time, that's a role we can play. As 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 the we come alongside with podcasts like this, and we're saying, hey, this form of, of, of teaching, you're going to may not get on the pulpit. And you may not even be in a place where there's a pulpit that you can get it from. And I want to clarify when I'm saying church. Yes, I'm Big talking. To, I'm talking yeah. about um, maybe the church we walk into on Sundays, but as well as yes. all of us collective right. as the church. That's right. So that's why this, that. these kinds of voices are going to rise, and we're seeing a rebirth, rekindling of Christian case making, where people are making a case for Christianity, like we're talking about today. I think we're seeing that grow. And there's only one way for us as Christians to be able to prepare to answer. And that's to know, simply to know God's word. That's right. And what God's word has to that's say. That's right. And there's only one way to do that. And that's to have scripture mm-hmm. hidden in our heart. Yeah. Um, so when the day comes that we're ready to correct, teach, and rebuke, as like Second Timothy says, that all scripture is God-breathed, ready for us to correct, teach, and rebuke a world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love you using an example, you're speaking to our church up here in Alaska this week, and you're speaking to a lot of camp kids right, and you right. used, you had uh, props, uh, from your detective days, but I loved your illustration of putting your gun in your holster. Right. Um, that explain that a little bit of how you, yeah, we talk about muscle memory, right? So if you're a cop and you have, you, t- you always train to take your gun out of your holster, reholster, holster, reholster, take it out, put it back in, take it out, put it back in. And you're doing that without looking at your holster, because if you have to take time to look down at your holster, you can't look at your threat. So you always want to be able to take that out and put it away with that. Keep your eyes on your threat. And that muscle memory just becomes, and I've, listen, I haven't, I haven't done it in years and I still have enough muscle memory to put it back in my holster. But when when I was working and doing that every day, I could, I could, I could pop, pop my cuffs out. I knew when I pulled the cuffs out exactly how to position them in my hand. So when I hit the guy's wrists, they would snap the way they're supposed to. All of this was muscle memory. And that's what we're trying to do here. So, so I didn't have to think about it. As a matter of fact, I, I would sometimes realize, oh, I've already done that. And I wasn't thinking about it as I was doing it. And it was already done. Same thing is true with memorizing scripture. But I think a lot of us do not memorize. And I wasn't either. I, I didn't do it for years. Or I just have some small piece. We're trying to actually 
add verses every night, add a line of verse every night to try to grow our collection of memorized scripture. Just because then I started thinking about, like, I didn't even realize that that topic is addressed in that line. Mm. But once you memorize it, you go, yeah, you know, that's actually like the line we memorized last night. And we can actually talk about it. You know, there's also bad muscle memory. And, And I think a lot of us have that, right? Where we have this pattern, you know, how many times do you have to get in the rhythm of daily devotionals. We, we, we travel for a few days. We have to get back in the rhythm of saying tonight we're doing our Bible study. We have to get back in that muscle memory rhythm. And so for a lot of us, just be, be, listen, your habits are your habits. Start thinking about those and what are those habits doing to your muscle memory? And that's why I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because you think of, we're talking about this younger generation mm-hmm. and everywhere that they're being influenced from, whether that's TV shows in Hollywood, uh, Netflix and Hulu and podcast, it's like you can't watch a TV show now without political agendas being pushed that's down, right. whether it's homosexuality and different worldviews and right. things. So if this generation or even myself and like my friends and millennials you're not preparing yourself to know what God's word has to say Mm -hmm. that I believe your mind will slowly start to fade to believe the truths of what they teach. Um, and these influences. Well, think about this. Even all all assignments we do, we have a, a lid, how many years in the more difficult assignments, we will allow you to work them before we're going to move you. So if you're working sex crimes or you're working dope, you're working uh, street narcotics, anywhere where there might be a temptation to start to see something as normal that you should never see as normal, we have a lid. Three years in, we're going to move you because we're not going to have you get messed up by developing new muscle memory, mental muscle memory on these issues. Now, we don't do that for, well, I think as parents, we always used to say, hey, how can we keep our kids as protected and as innocent for as long as we can? Because at some point, the world's going to, they're going to see this stuff. But how can we as parents keep them protected from that? Because what happens is the more you see these things, Mm -hmm. even in the simple pop culture of, of TV series, that becomes the new normal. And whatever shape of family, whatever shape of identity, whatever shape of what is how you spend your free time, how you even talk to each other. If you watch that on TV after a certain, how many times have you had your kids repeat some phrase and where they get it from? They watch it on TV and they saw this character say it five or six times. Now they think it's part of their language. So it's really about developing that muscle. And and all of us have messed that up as parents. So what we did with this book is we knew we're not going to do two things. We're not going to scold you. For not have because look we a lot of the stuff we're writing about Sean McDowell I wrote with Sean McDowell Josh's son people know who Josh is Sean is actually one of the finest apologists in the country right now I have to be honest it's your book and his book um, that I've not the one you've written together not yes. this one but separate books that I've yes. bought on different occasions yes Sean That's is a much fine apologist and he's the sweetest person you're ever going to meet and he's a great parent but we've all train wrecked this so a lot of what we're trying to teach in this book is not the stuff that we've mastered it's the stuff we wish we had mastered early on mm-hmm. and didn't figure it out until later and we're going to share those failures and hopefully it will help people so number one we don't want to scold parents for not having done the job they think they should have done because we already I carry that concern also as a parent. Two, we're not going to give you a bunch of stuff that you have to add to your life. So it feels like I can't do, I can't do this and add that and add that. What we're looking for are opportunities that already exist organically. You're driving with your kids. You're watching a movie with your kids. You're watching something. You're, you're, you're listening to a song with your kids. These are organic moments that already exist. How do you leverage those for the gospel? Because then you won't find yourself. And we always say, just take one principle. We give so many principles mm-hmm. in this book. Just take one. And if you can adopt that into your life, something will get better. 
Um, and then if you can dot one more, but start with one. Uh, and, we, and by the way, we are not, and Sean, I will tell you, we are the last people on the list of super parents, but, but we, we, I think we've seen, and we, boy, we sure had a lot of conversation with parents who do it really well. I was at a marriage conference in Mississippi and I'm listening to this couple talk to me about how they engaged conversations. They, every night they would have a conversation about scripture at dinner every night. And I said, wow, I feel like a lame parent. You're right. Cause, cause I don't do that every night. I said, how did you do it? He said, well, we love dessert. Okay. So we would have dinner and then the Bible comes out. If they want dessert, we have this conversation. And that meant we had a conversation every single night. Some of them were better than others. Some were lame, but some were really good, which we wouldn't have had. You might have five lame conversations to have one really eye-opening conversation. And it all was triggered by your control of dessert. I thought that was brilliant, right? I wish I'd have thought of that. That would have gone in the book. If I had met this lady first, I would have put her story in the book. So there's lots of ways you can incorporate, not to add a bunch. It's not like we're saying, hey, we want you to carve out two hours every Sunday night to do a Bible study with your kids. If that's the, the probably most people aren't going to do that. Yeah. So we have to figure out how ways. to get, you're already sitting there. This is going to take five minutes. Can you do it? Yeah. I wish. Um, I, I came out of being an atheist. I wish I would have had the life like you had where you're raised by Christian parents who that was their filter through which they described everything. I had to teach what I believe as, as a Christian to my parents. So I didn't have that, 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 that leg up. But, but again, a lot of us just need to take what the authority God has given us as a parent and try to leverage it for the gospel. Well, I think it is something that is needed to be addressed as we as a church and a collective um, scale is that we have to know how to talk to this generation mm-hmm. and to be able to come at it with God's scripture in a practical way that's um, loving but full of truth. Jay Warner Wallace, I'm glad you're here and I'm so thankful that you've been in Alaska this week and oh, serving yeah. our staff and our community and our guest here, Operation Healer Patriots. You and your wife, Susie, I just have loved watching your servant's heart and taking your own personal time to serve those around mm-hmm. you. It's been a big blessing. So thank you. Awesome. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jim, for being on today's episode of Fearless. I hope you who have been listening have heard or learned something that has been helpful for you and your faith. But most importantly, I hope today has encouraged you to challenge you to know what you believe and why you believe it, and that we all need to continue to learn more and challenge ourselves more in Scripture. He has great resources, so I encourage you to go to his website, coldcasechristianity.com. It is always being updated daily. He's got news articles and apologetics. He's got resources for you, videos to watch, even great resources for children. So I encourage for your whole family and your friends to check out his website. His podcast is incredible. And also follow Jay Warner Wallace on Twitter and Instagram. And once again, thank you for listening to another episode of Fearless. I'm Sissy Graham Lynch. Stay connected with me on Instagram and Twitter. 